So um, I was asked if I would do some teaching over this week on, on the person of the Holy Spirit, which I'm thrilled to do. Um, I think one of the great things about these kind of weekends is we've just got time. And when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit, you need time. Because you'll notice if we preach about the Holy Spirit on a Sunday morning, and then we say, okay, we'll pray for you, it doesn't really work properly. Because basically the kids are coming and everyone's got to go on to something else. And the great thing about this weekend, we've got the entire time together. And so particularly in our session this afternoon and in our session tomorrow morning, we're going to give lots of time for response and for prayer and in an unhurried unhurried way. So there's not going to be any pressure on anybody. No one's going to force you to do anything. But it is a wonderful opportunity. Anything that we say and you think, do you know what? I really need to know the Holy Spirit like that. I need to experience the Holy Spirit in that way then we would absolutely love to pray for you. Not only that, but my goal this weekend is not that it all happens at this weekend. Um, someone mentioned earlier about, you know, we've escaped, we've escaped from the world, and that's absolutely true. That's another reason why these, we can concentrate on it, but unfortunately you're going back. <laughs> you don't live here forever. And so that means that a lot of what we're talking about today is not for this weekend, but for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's for the real world. And that means for some of you, maybe things will start happening later, not even the weekend. You might go, well, not a lot happened to, to me. But then you realize things have been put into you that then really make a difference in your life. And it could be that later you'll be wanting prayer. It's a kickstart weekend for some of us, I think into all kinds of things that are going to happen. Um, some of us, uh, when we look, talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, we may not know very much about him. We may be a bit ignorant of him. I'm praying this weekend, in fact, even in this session this morning, that we're able to help you on that in, to a great extent. Some of us may have had experiences of the Holy Spirit. Some of us not. Some of us may not even be Christians, even if you're not a Christian, I think hearing about the person of the Holy Spirit is going to help you on your journey to become a Christian. And if you've been a Christian for a number of years, can I just say, you don't have it all. And sometimes you do the teaching of the Holy Spirit, and I can feel people going, yeah, well, I know all about this. No, you don't. There is always something new to learn. And so whatever we talk about this weekend is applicable to everybody who's here in, in this room. And some of us may be a bit nervous and I want to, I don't know what the opposite to nervous is, denervousize you. I want to help you to really get rid of that because it's hard to receive something from someone if you're nervous about them, isn't it? It's like you're cautious. And I want us to be rid of all of that so that we're free to receive all that he has um, for us as his people. So in this session, I'm just going to ask two questions <coughs> as an introduction. Uh, the first question is, who is the Holy Spirit? And the second question is, why has he come? You cannot receive from the Holy Spirit if you don't know who he is and why he's come. And also, we're going to start with theology. And then we're going to get more and more practical. Okay, So we're going to start. Why am I doing that? Because the Holy Spirit is more than a feeling. The Holy Spirit isn't just somebody that you feel something about. He is, as we'll see in a moment, a person, and he needs to be described to you. You need to understand who he is 
and you need to understand the reason that he's come. Once you've grasped those two blocks, if you, will, if you like, of teaching, it really, really helps you to start to experience him. This afternoon, we'll be looking about how to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want to start by asking these two questions because I think it will help us for the rest of the weekend. So who is the Holy Spirit? And it's fundamental, but we've got to start here. The Holy Spirit is God. He's part of the Godhead. He is clearly a distinctive member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each are one, but they have distinctive roles that are called upon them to play. No one of the Godhead is any less equal than the other. They are all equal together. So when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you're talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Have you got it? The, the Holy Spirit is God himself. And I say that because I think a lot of Christians have in their mind a rather big God who's Father, kind of middle-sized Jesus, and there's this weird little thing called the Holy Spirit that tucks in there somewhere <laughs> behind. So can we just allay that uh, heresy right at the beginning? And the Holy Spirit didn't just turn up later in the story. It's amazing when you talk to Christians, they think, well, yeah, and then there was this thing called the Holy Spirit that came in at the end of the Bible. It's not true. And so even before creation, the Holy Spirit exists. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoying this most glorious harmony together without needing you, without needing the universe, without needing anything before time was even made. Bible reveals that God was one, the Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit, therefore, it didn't come up at the end of the story. He was there before the story even began. He's first seen, of course, in creation. That reminds you of what it says in Genesis 1 verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There's a couple of things about that. Number one, it says the Holy Spirit is involved in creating the universe. He's brooding over. And the second thing you need to know about it is the Holy Spirit is creative, which is why the Holy Spirit is needed for us to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to lead worship, to preach, to witness to our friends, to uh, share the love of God with one another. You can't do any of those things on your own. But the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will create in you the ability and the power to do things you cannot do in your own strength. And so from Genesis 1 onwards, the Holy Spirit is active. And essentially, he's active all the way through the Old Testament. So we're going to get to the New Testament in a moment. But I just want to apply this to you, that the Holy Spirit has always been active in this planet. There's never been a moment when he hasn't. And essentially, in the Old Testament... The Spirit would come upon a man or come upon a woman and they were called to do a certain task. And the Spirit anointed them to do the task and then when they did the task, he withdrew from them. Remember people like Samson who had this supernatural power. That supernatural power came from the Spirit, the anointing him. When the task was done, it seemed the Spirit kind of left him. Um, you know, there's all sorts of weird stories in the Old Testament, aren't there? Like a guy who's called to kill a thousand Philistines and all he's got is an oxbow in his hand. You try killing a thousand uh, Philistines with an oxbow, it's not going to work. So how did it work? The Spirit of God came upon him and energized him and strengthened him. There's a very strange passage in the, New Testament, in the Old Testament where 
Saul, who's the king anointed, but isn't doing so well. Saul kind of came and went under the anointing of God. And he's walking along the road one day, and a band of prophets are coming towards him. And they're all prophesying because the Spirit is anointing them. And it's kind of like, and Saul kind of sneaks in and gets into the middle, and he starts prophesying. And then he walks out, and it stops. It's very strange. But the activity of the Holy Spirit was all about anointing people to do things. It was all about anointing a prophet to speak the word of God to his people. Holy Spirit's always been at work. And then in the New Testament, everything shifts. This is when we're now living in an age of the New Testament. So what I'm about to say is applicable to us today. So when the Holy Spirit comes in the New Testament, everything shifts around. It begins with Jesus. It's fascinating, isn't it, that Jesus needed, if I can use that word, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I meet Christians sometimes today who say, well, I'm not sure about all this Holy Spirit stuff. Well, Jesus was very sure that he needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so on the day that he was baptized in water, this is what it says, the Spirit of God came upon him. This is when his ministry started, when the Spirit of God came upon him. And it makes this comment, when the Spirit of God comes upon him and remains. Now, this is a fundamental difference. He's kick-starting a whole new generation of understanding the things of the Spirit. This is not about the Spirit anointing Jesus and then leaving. This is not about the Spirit coming to a Christian and then leaving. This is the Spirit coming and staying. This is about the Spirit of God being upon us and in us forever, never leaving us to carry on the work in our own strength. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is finally poured out upon what the Bible calls all flesh, which means everybody, not some random prophet or a guy with an oxbow in his hand. Now, it's to everybody who's a believer, everybody who's a child of God, the promise is that the Spirit of God will now come upon all flesh and he will dwell within us personally and he will work through us. So it's sad when you meet Christians for whom the Holy Spirit is a stranger or through the Holy Spirit is seen as a lesser part of the Trinity, that the Holy Spirit somehow is a lesser known member of the Trinity. I come, I don't know where you come from, but I come from a, a, a Christian kind of evangelical background that did not embrace the things of the Holy Spirit. They didn't like the Holy Spirit very much. They were really nervous of anybody who even mentioned the Holy Spirit. How tragic is this? But it was kind of like seen, and it was the, 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 the thoughts were the Holy Spirit is kind of, He's mysterious, he's dangerous, uh, he might do things to you that you don't know about. It's, he's seen in Christians thinking of something that, something that you can't really know. Even the phrase that some of you come from background where, where he's known as the Holy Ghost, it doesn't help, does it? Have you ever thought about that? And, and actually the word Holy Ghost doesn't mean ghost like we think. It's an old English term. But the reality is, most of us, we hear about people talking about the Holy Ghost. What do you think of immediately? A phantom? Something weird, mysterious? We're really thinking flaky, weird, peculiar, you know, un unembodied. Something really that you can't know. And I want us to demystify the person of the Holy Spirit without devaluing anything of who he is and what he is. He's no longer to be the lesser known member of the Trinity, but somebody that you and I can absolutely know 
and experience. I want us to know the tangible, authentic person of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, even this weekend for, for the rest of our lives. And I think a misunderstanding of who he is, this is why I've spent 10 minutes on this, and, and what he's come to do is one of the reasons that we don't get it in the way that we should. Above all, and this is the most important thing I want to say in this, he's a person. He's as much a person as the person sitting right next to you now. He is real and he's a person. He is known as the, thir the third person of the Trinity. He's not an it. He's not a force. He's not a noise. He's not a feeling. He is a real person. And I think that the, re the reason that the Holy Spirit remains a stranger to many Christians is they see, they see him as an experience rather than a person to walk with in relationship. I, I chat obviously to lots of Christians and, and, and in all sorts of different places and um, people will say, uh, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, what do you know about the Holy Spirit? They say, well, once I had a, I did have an experience of the Spirit once. And that's a very weird thing to say. It's like, I've been married to Liz for nearly 40 years and you say to me, what's your relationship with, like with Liz? And I say, I once had an experience of Liz. <laughs> many, many years. I think she's still around. I, I think she's still with me. But I don't really know her. Well, that would not be a very good basis of a marriage. And so when Christians say these things, that's how bizarre it is. Or this, listen to this. I, I think some of us even are prone to say, I hope one day I will have an experience of the Spirit without realizing that right now, whether you do or whether you don't, you can have a dynamic relationship with this person rather than like... Now, actually, you do get to experience the Spirit. I've had lots of, over the years, uh, remarkable and sometimes very quiet and gentle and sometimes very strong and kind of overwhelming almost experiences of the Spirit. But they're actually coming out of my relationship with the Spirit rather than random weird things that might happen to me. I think many Christians are thinking of the Spirit as experience and we're looking for the Spirit. And that's why he's a stranger. Because you, you don't know someone you just have an experience with from time to time. It has to be rooted in you in relationship with one another. He's a person to know. He's a person to love. He's a person to have a relationship with you. And he wants to have a relationship with you more than you want to have a relationship with him. And he wants you to have that relationship all the time. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Have you experienced but encountered? And do you walk on a daily basis with this person? Because he's a wonderful person and there's nothing to fear and there's nothing to be suspicious about. And I want today to to remove all those challenges or misconceptions and misunderstanding. He really is a person. And there's an invitation for you today and throughout this weekend and next week and in the months and years to come to have a continued relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. That's who he is. Now for the rest of your life, you'll never ever not be able to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Because... He is, and he is a real person. Here's the second question. Why has he come? Do you know what? You can read lots of books about the Holy Spirit, but why has the Holy Spirit come? 
Do you know the best way to answer that question is to read John chapter 14 to 16. Three chapters in the Bible. It won't take you very long. You might like to do it while you're here because we're looking at the person of the Holy Spirit. Certainly next week when you get home. Because if we're touching on some things today, you think, well, who, who, why has he come? I know who he is, but why has he come? John 14, 16 is the teaching of Jesus about the person of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to get better things than that. But why has he come and what's his purpose? Right off, I'd like to mention three things. The first thing is that he has come to reveal the Godhead. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is to make God known. When you know the person of the Holy Spirit, it is so that God is no longer distant, but he is intimate. So here's what the Holy Spirit does when it comes to God the Father and God the Son. He's obviously not here to just talk about himself all the time, but to talk about the Father and to talk about the Son. So when it comes to God the Father, how do we get knowledge of him? How do we know him within? The Bible uses this phrase, by the Spirit. In fact, the phrase, by the Spirit, is there throughout the New Testament. You know, how do we pray? By the Spirit. How do we understand the Word of God through revelation? By the Spirit. How do we love one another? By the Spirit. And so it's the Spirit's function to give knowledge to us. For instance, how do we know the Father by the Spirit? You can be a Christian and know that God is your Father, but not know Him as your Father. How do you get that step? By the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to come and reveal the Father to us. This is what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. By the way, every time you hear sons of God, it also means uh, daughters of God as well. But we haven't got time to keep on doing that. I always say to people who find this slightly strange that if you're a woman and that uh, you're always known as the Son of God, I always say to people, and I'm part of the bride of Christ, and I'm still trying to get over that as well. So it works both ways, okay? All those are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do I know that God is my Father? Because it's a work of the Spirit. So important that we see that crying out, Abba, Father, is not just words coming out of my lips, but something coming from deep within my heart. And you can't really, you can say the words, Abba, Father, but you can't really say the words, Abba, Father, without the Holy Spirit. It's a recognition that you and I are children of God. So that's knowing the Father. So the Holy Spirit's come to reveal the Godhead so you can know Father, but the Holy Spirit has also come to reveal Jesus. And the Holy Spirit has come to point us to Jesus constantly. Again, let me remind you what it says in John chapter 16. And this is Jesus speaking, and this is what he says. When the Spirit of truth, this is talking about the Holy Spirit, comes... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Look at this. He will glorify me, says Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it 
to you. Sometimes Christians are a bit nervous when we start overemphasizing the Holy Spirit. Yet this is one of the very things that the Holy Spirit has come to do, which is to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit never distracts our attention away from the Father, and he never distracts our attention away from Jesus. So Christians who are nervous about, you keep talking about the Holy Spirit as if somehow he'll take the place of Jesus. No, 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 no. If it's of the Spirit, then we know it's of the Spirit because it always glorifies Jesus because that's what he's come to do. Here's a test, incidentally. If you're wondering, was that the Holy Spirit or not? Here's a simple answer. Did it glorify Jesus? If it didn't glorify Jesus, I've been in meetings where there's some things happened by the Spirit, but it certainly didn't glorify Jesus, then I know that it cannot be of God. <clears throat> so don't worry about overemphasizing the person of the Holy Spirit because his very function is always to reveal the Father and to glorify Jesus, the Son. Okay? That's the first reason the Holy Spirit has come. Here's the second reason. He has come to justify us. He is the one who makes us to be Christians. <clears throat> we may believe in the process, and we certainly will repent of our sins. But the reason you become a Christian is that it's a work of the Spirit. Some of you are looking at me thinking, this is very basic. It really is, but it's very important you understand. One of the first functions of the Holy Spirit is to come and cause you to be born again. You cannot become a Christian without the person of the Holy Spirit doing a work within you. It's something of eternity coming into our lives forever, a seed that's sown, which is why conversion is a miracle. If you've been brought up in a Christian home, you're not a Christian because you're brought up in a Christian home. You're, brought, you're a Christian because a miracle one day happened into your life. So I was only six years old. I can hardly remember it. But that was the miracle that kind of happened to you. doesn't matter how far away you are from God or supposedly how close. You all need to have this same miracle, and it's a work of the Spirit. He justifies us. It's our first encounter of the Holy Spirit at conversion. John 16 and uh, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, then the Spirit of God cannot come to you. It's a, just a powerful declaration of God's purpose to come and to meet with us in this powerful, powerful way. If I do go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin. You got convicted of your sin by the Spirit and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the what? He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Talking about a human birth. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel then, I say to you, be, be, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And so you can't become a Christian without the work of the Spirit. Now, I want you to notice something which will be important for what we teach on this afternoon, okay? At the moment of becoming a Christian of conversion, you are not consciously experiencing the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit hasn't come to draw attention to him, but he's come to help you to know Jesus. So I look back and I realize now, when I became a Christian in February 1972, a long time ago, 
Not as long as Jack and Sheila. I just want to put that in straight away. <laughs> but when I became a, a Christian in 1972, I, I didn't know an awful lot, but I knew I was born again. And it was a work of the Spirit. And I knew for the first time in my life my sins had been forgiven. And even though I raised in church and I knew everything that Christians knew, it was like I didn't know anything until that moment. And then I was born of the Spirit. But I wasn't consciously experiencing the Holy Spirit while I was born again. It was to point me to Jesus. I was born again. My sins were forgiven. And that's really important because we'll see later today, we, we need to then have an experience of the Spirit that's not about conversion, but is about being empowered to live the Christian life. Can't wait. That's for this afternoon. Can't wait. We've got a few weddings and some worship seminars and things before we get there. Anyway. The reality is that he has come to justify us by a work of the Spirit. They helped. And the third thing he's come to do is this. And this is going to be big this weekend. He's come to help us to live the Christian life because you cannot live the Christian life without him. The third thing he's come, he's come to live the Christian life through us. He's come to give us power to be witnesses. He's not an option. He's vital for every individual believer. The Holy Spirit is vital for every local church. The Holy Spirit is vital for everything he wants to do in every nation of the world and every generation that's ever existed from the day of Pentecost till now. You and I haven't got a better idea than the Holy Spirit. He's still the answer for everything. I travel a lot in Europe. Churches are really struggling. Heads are down. Really difficult. What's the answer? And sometimes people say, well, the answer is new techniques, new styles of worship. Maybe we have a new way of evangelizing. <clears throat> None of these things are invalid. <clears throat> Some of them are very culturally relevant, but they are not the answer. When you travel around Europe, you see that the answer is exactly the same as the day of Pentecost. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The church needs to experience the Holy Spirit all over again. The church needs to be empowered by the Spirit, and that is what's going to make the difference. Why did the Holy Spirit come? To reveal the Godhead, to justify us, to make us Christians, and now to help us to live the Christian life. It must have been a very strange experience for the disciples. They're three years walking with Jesus. And it's just an amazing experience. Can you imagine three years walking with Jesus? Well, you should because you are. I just caught you out there, didn't I? <laughs> but walking with Jesus when he was on earth, it was like miracles. Amazing teaching which caused thousands of people to drive at least six hours to come and listen to the teaching. So it was amazing stuff. And uh, the, the disciples would wake up every morning. Is this... Is this going to be one of those everybody in the room gets healed mornings? Or is this going to be one of those strange days where only one person got healed and not everybody else did? But it kept life really exciting. Is this going to be feeding thousands of people miraculously? Or is this going to be one of those days when the Pharisees all give Jesus a really, really hard time? You know, what, what, what's going on kind of day? But it was, it was magnificent. It was electric. It was powerful. It was amazing. And then a really strange thing starts to happen. As unbeknownst to them, the three and a half years is almost up, and Jesus knows it and they don't. And so he's coming to the end of his ministry, and he starts talking about someone else. This is like strange. Stop talking about this other person <laughs> that you keep saying is the, the spirit, the comforter, the you know, all these things. You keep on talking. So Jesus has come to his ministry and he wants to start introducing them to another person who is going to come to them 
so that when Jesus has been killed and his body is no more and he's raised, that the spirit that was upon him would then come upon them. And so he's introducing them, and you can feel them saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. Stop talking about going away. Stop talking about being killed. Surely this is going to go on forever. This, you can't get better than this. Jesus says, actually, it's going to get a lot better. They go, well, it can't be, can't be. This is just ridiculous. John chapter 14 and verse 15. Jesus is speaking to them and he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I'll ask the Father. And he'll give you, look at this, another helper to be with you. What could be better than Jesus? To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. This is one of the most powerful promises of Jesus. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. You can feel them, no, 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 no. But you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. John 16, verse 4. But I've said these things to you that when the, the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, because he was bodily. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. <laughs> Please don't go. Nevertheless, I tell the truth. It is to your advantage. Another, verse, uh, another version of the Bible says, it is far better. It is for your advantage. It is far better that I go. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I do, I will send him to you. Uh, folks, this is really essential and it's totally dynamic for us to grasp. It was far better for Jesus to die, to forgive us for our sins, to be raised from the dead, to deal with the issue of death once and for all, to then be ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Father where he is now, so that he's glorified and far above every name that can be named, and the outcome of everything that's got, going to happen in history is already sealed. The victory isn't going to be won. It's already been won. It's very quiet. <laughs> and, and, and all of this happened so that one day he could then, when all of that had taken part, pour out his Holy Spirit. The one that's far better for you that I go to be with the Father is for your advantage that I do this. Why? So that when I pour out my Spirit on all flesh... On that day, it'll be like me coming to you and being in you. And guess what? You get to do the same thing that Jesus did when he was on earth. That is why it's far better. When you look at John chapter 7, oh, I'll just read this quickly. There's a lot of Bible verses. hope you don't tell me off for having too many Bible verses. John 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Spirit has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now look at this. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Well, he has now. He has now been glorified, so he can now pour out his Holy Spirit upon each and every one of us. 
It's fascinating. When you read Acts chapter 1 and you read the story of the disciples, it looks very, very bleak. They're frightened. They're hidden away. They've locked the doors. They're afraid of the Jews. Jesus has left. They're waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but they're not really sure about it. They're probably a bit disunited. You know, it's quite a few days and nights going on now. Some of them are thinking maybe we'll call it a day. Nothing's really happening very much. It's all pretty depressing stuff. These are the people who are going to turn the world upside down, by the way. And it looks very dark and very bleak. This is the end of Christianity. And then you look at Acts chapter 2, and it's exactly the same people, and they're out on the street, and they're preaching the gospel, and they don't care about anyone. They're full of power, and they're moving in signs and wonders, and miracles are beginning to happen. And the only difference between chapter 1 and chapter 2 is this person we're talking about. It's the only difference. The Holy Spirit is the answer for the empowering of the Christian life. It's far better that Jesus goes to the Father so that the Spirit upon Jesus comes within me and remains with me. Peter said, this is that that the prophet Joel prophesied. This is not drunk, as some of you think. This is the Spirit that's come upon us. So let me round off this session by saying that there really is an invitation for you and me to now really get to know this person. There's two ways that we get to know him. There's an invitation to live in him, to grow in him, to depend on him, because he's a person to have a relationship with him for the rest of your life. How does that happen? Well, two ways, I think. The first is this. We're called to have fellowship with the Spirit, companionship with the Spirit, because he is, a, he is the one who's come to be our friend and companion to reveal the Godhead to us. So, for example, the phrase fellowship with the Spirit comes often in the New Testament. You often hear that, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And you can quickly think it's just a benediction. It's actually a theological statement that you and I can have fellowship with the Spirit of God. And it's there in Scripture. It's there before us. So 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with you forever. Philippians 2, 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any fellowship or participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy. There's this, there's this teaching in Scripture that you and I are supposed to have fellowship and companionship with the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is a person and not a force or a nit, we can have fellowship with him, we can have companionship with him, we can be intimate with him. This is one of the most radical things that anyone can ever, ever hear. The Trinity, the Father, the Son and Holy Spirit in perfect harmony and fellowship with one another. There's an invitation for you to come and enter in to that relationship the Trinity have with one another. I mean, this is a bit mind-boggling. If anyone came in here right now, they who are these people? They actually think God invites them to become part of what he is, Father, Son. That's exactly what Scripture teaches. And so I'm meant to have fellowship with my Father, intimate relationship with Jesus, the Son, and I'm invited to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, isn't it, that if you say to Christians, where is God, the Father? They'll say, well, Jesus said, our Father who is in heaven. Good start. So he's in heaven. Where is Jesus? Well, the Bible says he sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Then you say, where's the Holy Spirit? And they go, uh. I'll tell you where the Holy Spirit is. He's here. And he's here for you and I to have relationship with one another. He's here to glorify Jesus. If he's a person, listen, I'll just, just drive this home for you. Then he lives. He speaks. He feels, he can gr get grieved, 
He can get quenched. He can breathe life. Often the Bible refers to the Spirit as the breath of God. He sustains. He listens to us. He gives life. And it takes two people to have a relationship. So when I saw Liz across a crowded room and, and I saw her and, and, and everything went black and white except for the colour. And in my heart, inside of me, boom, 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 inside of me, I'm thinking, this is why I thought I need to pursue her. Because I'm going to pursue her because I really want to get to know her. So I went on a pursuit. And fortunately for me, she didn't run away. So the pursuit was a two-way thing. We start our relationship with one another. and ends up with us falling in love and getting married. Never forget the day we got married. Because in my head, I was actually thinking, here's this woman coming down the aisle. And I'm so glad that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with her. And in my head at the same time was... I really know her. I really know this person. And then we got married, and how wrong I was. <laughs> and so the entire rest of 40 years has been us in a relationship getting to know one another. There's still things about one another. You know, just to make it ever so romantic, we're pers- still pursuing one another 40 years... Oh, come on. 40 years later. Because the reality is... That is an example of what it's like with a person of the Holy Spirit. You don't know him entirely today. I don't. For the rest of our lives until we go to heaven, even on the last few days, we're still things to get to know about the person of the Holy Spirit. Two people in a relationship. And by the way, I don't have silent relationship with my wife. Actually, sometimes I do, don't I? Men go into their caves. Anyway, so we don't know. But most of the time we talk. And we talk a lot to one another. We get to know one another by talking a lot. So can I suggest to you, you have a relationship with You need to start talking to the Holy Spirit. You get to know him by talking to him, and he talks to you. We're here, I think it's tomorrow morning, about how to hear the voice of the Spirit. And so we're invited into this wonderful fellowship with one another. And so for me, my conversation with the Holy Spirit is often like this. Holy Spirit, can you help, please? I can't do this without Liz. I yield to you. You know what I'm doing today. I start most of my days just saying, Lord, here's the agenda. (laughs) Please come. Because if you don't come, then we can't do this without you. It's a conversation every day, every hour, yielding to him. He isn't just for Sundays, folks. He's for every day of the week and the month and the year. Every moment we're depending. First thing in the morning, last thing at night. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, even in the workplace, you're invited to have the most remarkable adventure of, of spending the rest of your life with this person, the Holy Spirit. Now, just stay with me, and I'm finishing with this. This is really important. The second thing the Holy Spirit does, us, does with us is he's our helper. So we get to know him by knowing we're in companionship with, uh, with one another, but we really get to know him also knowing that he's helper. So from John 14 to 16, it repeats it over and over again that he is our, it's the same word, comforter, advocate, um, our strengthener, our fortifier. Fundamentally, it means our helper. And he's the Bible, the Greek word is the word paraclete, which means this, the one who comes alongside. The one who comes to help carry the load. So if I was to pick up, this looks pretty heavy, I won't do it, but if I was to try and pick that up on my own, 
and walk out of here with it, I think I'm going to struggle. Shall I have a um, so I might struggle the whole thing not just the top but everything go with it but if I was to say to Luke Luke this is I'm really struggling with this could you please pick up the other end and help me it's amazing when two people carry something you just walk out together that's exactly what the Holy Spirit has come to do as your helper he's come to carry you he's come to lift you through your Christian life Intimacy is allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he's been sent to do and not to quench him and not to, to, to not do things in your own strength. You will ignore the Holy Spirit at your peril. You are never meant to live the Christian life on your own. And that's quite humbling, especially for blokes, guys in this room particularly. You think, well, I can, yeah, I'll be all right. You have no idea. It's not a weakness to say, I can't do this. I need you, Holy Spirit. It's actually through weakness that strength is manifest. So we have to humble ourselves and say, I need to be dependent upon you. A friend of mine, when he got converted many years ago, he's a very bright guy, Oxford University, and he plowed his way through the Bible within a few weeks, and he kind of read all the Gospels over and over and over in his college room. And one day he said to me, I'm so grateful I've become a Christian, but this is going to be really hard work. I've been reading all the stuff about Jesus and all the things he asked us to do to be his disciples. And Daisy says, it's really, really hard. I don't know if I can do it. And I said, it's not hard. It's impossible. You need to get that into you right now. But you know that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it doesn't remain hard. It becomes a matter of depending upon him and he will do it. So I've sat on Alpha courses and I've sat on an Alpha table with my wife as the alpha table leader because she's much better at leading an alpha table than me because I'm rubbish. <laughs> and the reason I'm rubbish is I want, the reason I'm rubbish is I just want to answer every question everyone's got and I have to zip it. Okay, Jesus might have been a spaceman. Zip it, Dave. He might have been a spaceman. Anyway, so I, she's much better than me and, um, and we kind of talk about all these kind of things. There comes moments in alpha when people who are not yet Christians and are investigating on a journey, they come to the place where you can see they come to the place, I really think I do believe and I, I kind of really want to give my life to Jesus. But there's moments of hesitation. And one of those hesitation moments is this. But if I become a Christian, I don't know whether I can keep up being a Christian. If only I had your faith, one person said to me, then I'd be all right. And I'm going, you have no idea. And at that point, I'm really frustrated because I kind of want to say to them, look, <laughs> Give your life to Jesus, come around to this side of the table, and then you'll discover a person. And the person is the Holy Spirit. And the key for the rest of your life as a Christian is not you trying hard, but you being filled with and being dependent upon this person, the Holy Spirit. I mean, is there any, we're going to have to close now, is there any area of the Christian life that you can think of whereby you don't need the help of the helper, the Holy Spirit? You can't worship without the Spirit. This morning, we worshipped. But if we just sang songs, you didn't. It's a work of the Spirit. Jesus said we must worship in spirit and in truth. You can't pray without the Spirit. So many Christians come to me from time to time and say, I'm really struggling in my prayer life. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Even the Apostle Paul is in the club. In <laughs> Romans 8, 26, he says, we don't know how to pray. Well, there you go. But the Holy Spirit, he says, helps us with our weakness you pray in the spirit how do you understand the bible by the holy spirit how do you witness to your friends and neighbors well jesus said my spirit will come upon you and will have power to be witnesses 
How do you overcome trials? How do you handle the workplace? How do you handle Christians? I mean, all this teaching <laughs> about loving one another, forget <laughs> it. I'm surrounded by Christians, forget it. It just doesn't work. But of course, <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's not you loving your hardest loving people. But when you get filled with the Spirit, you start to love people that you would never love. Marriage. I need the Holy Spirit in my marriage. Don't know about yours. Then kids come along. Wow. I really need the Holy Spirit <laughs> to help me raise these children. Being single. Absolutely. You're not half a person. You're a full person if you're in Jesus. But you do need the Holy Spirit to help you. And we could go over and over again. I've got some friends who are, who've got this. Every moment there's an opportunity for prayer for more of the Spirit, they're the first people out. You think, well, that's a bit selfish. No. They've just understood, I can't do this. Please come more. I don't know why, you know, you make an appeal for people to, be, to receive the Spirit and three people out of 400 come forward. And you think, what are the rest of you doing? <laughs> You're doing okay, are you, without him? It's the kind of mentality that we need him more and more. Let's just close our eyes. Father, I pray even at the very beginning of this weekend that you will motivate some of us to get to know you, to get to experience you, not as an experience in itself, but as a person. I pray for a hunger and thirst to get to know you, Holy Spirit, far better that, the, that Jesus went to the Father so that now I can have you living in my life. Thank you, you'll never force anything upon me. You'll never do anything beyond that which I desire. But Lord, I really do want to be on this journey with you. I want the water level to rise over this weekend as more and more of us see our need of the person of the Holy Spirit. Would you do that, Lord, please, for your glory. Amen.